who reached out to him and even to me to let me and him know that 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 was an impactful message, that you needed to hear about God's forgiveness and his love in your life, and it's such a beautiful message to hear. Today, we are wrapping up our series, I Believe in God, But, and in this series, what we've tried to do is address some of these questions and concerns that people have when it comes to God or to church or to faith. So far, we've looked, I don't like, right? If you remember that one, I don't like Christians, on board with that, right? Um, I believe in God, but how can I be sure? And uh, then, as I said last week, Roberta looked at, I believe in God, but does he really forgive me? And so today, we are wrapping up uh, this, looking at, I believe in God, but I'm not sure about the Bible. So I believe in God, and, uh, but I'm not sure about the Bible. See, here at PCC, it's our mission to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ. And we do to the Word of God with an emphasis in prayer. And if you're not sure about the Bible, if you're not sure about God, if you're not sure about Jesus, I want you to know that, that I believe you're in the right place today, all right? I think you're in a, a safe space because here at PCC, we are striving to learn and to grow and to love well. We want this to be a place where you can grow and explore your where you will hear about the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus in your life and, and his desire to walk with you in a relationship every day of your life, a relationship that begins when you believe and blends into eternity. So if you're here today, and, and regardless of how you feel about the Bible, if you don't like it, if you think it's the best book ever, uh, thank you for being here. And I think and I hope and I, I have prayed that, that this will be impactful for you. So I want you to do something for me, with me. I, I want you to grab your Bible or a Bible, even if it's the one you're not sure about, uh, and open it up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be, begin in verse 16. You can open up a, a Bible app. You can go online. You can find it there. Uh, you can grab a blue Bible in front of you. Uh, it should be underneath the seat in front of you. And uh, 2 Timothy chapter I, I do want to encourage you to put the text in you guys are keep looking at me back there. What, what's happening here? Nothing good? What do we need to do? It's going in and out. See, I can't, I can't hear my, I hear myself, so that's all that matters, right? All right, so is, is it good now? All right, so Shane, give me that sign if something goes bad, all right? Maybe this is a mis anyway. Okay, here, so here we go. Uh, back to what we were saying. I do want you to put the Bible in your hands, the text in your hands, because I think it's important uh, to become familiar with it. It's something that, that you should have. It's something that we all, uh, we all need. I also encourage you to grab your sermon notes in case there's something that you decide to write down. It could be that uh, you're going to have a lot of objections or disagreements with what I'm about to say today. Write them down. We can talk about them. Just don't send an angry email, right? Let's, let's talk about these things as we walk through it. Uh, today, I, I want to address the issue of what do we do with the Bible, especially if we are unsure about the Bible. 
And from the very beginning, I want to reveal my hand. I want to, to tell you where I, uh, I end up at the end of the day, where I land. Paul writes to Timothy, and in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, the text says this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And what I want to do is for the next several minutes to walk through why I land there and hopefully give you some reasons to have confidence in the scriptures as well, especially if you're unsure about them. Now, there are lots of things that we could talk about in an attempt to help you gain some, some confidence about the Bible. For instance, we could spend a lot of time looking at the evidence from archaeology. Uh, many people claim that the Bible is just a collection of stories that have been made up, designed to, to elevate one people group, the Jews, and keep everyone else in their proper place. But there are a lot of archaeological finds and supports and claims of the Scripture. Uh, archaeological finds and digs and discoveries outside of the focus of faith, right? Outside of those who are trying to prove the Bible to be true, uh, time and time again give evidence and credibility to what the Scripture says. They've discovered things like uh, lists of kings and dates and places that things took place, where cities were located and how they were destroyed and who the rulers were, not only in that city, but in the surrounding area and in the broader region. Uh, the, the list of evidence from archaeological finds and, and those types of things, we could do a lot of research and things on that and find that a lot of that can give you confidence in the Bible. And that may help you, or maybe not, Right? Maybe for you, one thing that we could examine would be the evidence for manuscripts. Now, there are multiple arguments in the scriptures that the scripture, or about the scriptures that we have today that they're not even close to what God intended for us to have. The assumption is that scribes, when they wrote down the scriptures, they put in their own personal opinion and uh, personal agendas, and that because of the multitude of translations and there are so many variations in the text, that, that this means that we cannot know exactly what the Bible is supposed, supposed to say, and, and since we cannot know for sure what it's supposed to say, we cannot be sure what to do with it. We can't put any confidence in it then. But here's the thing. Scholars and historians, they have this, these tests that they run through in seeking to find the accuracy of ancient documents. And they run through a couple of different criteria. And two of them I just want to discuss real quick. One is how many ancient manuscripts do we actually have? And then they take those ancient manuscripts and they compare them with each other to look for discrepancies. The, the second criteria is based on how close the ancient manuscripts that we have, how close they were written to the actual uh, original document, right? We don't have the original, but how close were they written to the original? Um, and the reason they do this is because research has found that, that legends and embellished stories take several hundred years for them to develop and then to be accepted as part of the, the truth of, of what's been communicated. So when we compare the scriptures to other ancient documents that are considered reliable, here's what we find. Julius Caesar wrote a book called The Gaelic Wars. The Gallic Wars. Uh, it's a widely accepted book written about a series of military campaigns against several Gallic tribes. Uh, this is a book of which we have 10 surviving ancient copies and fragments dating back to approximately 1,000 years before the date of the, or after the date of the original writing, all right? So we also have a book uh, written by Pliny the Elder, who died in 79 AD, titled Natural History. This is an interesting book because this book is about the whole of the natural world, and it purports to cover all of ancient knowledge, 
That's a pretty broad claim, right? A pretty bold claim. Um, of this book, we have seven ancient copies and fragments of this work that date back to 750 years from the original work. And then, of course, there's Homer's The Iliad. Everybody know that one, right? The, you know that? Who knows that one? You've at least heard of it. Okay, how many of you honestly say you've read it? I can't raise my hand. I haven't read the whole thing. Okay, like three of you. Good for you, right? Oh, this group. Yeah, the young people are reading it, right? There you go. Um, of this book, you know, it, it's, a, it's this epic poem, rec- recounts the significant events of the final weeks of the Trojan War and the Greek siege of the city of Troy. And of this document, we have 600 ancient copies and fragments, uh, and they date back to the 10th century or about 1,000 years from the original, all right? So what does that mean when it comes to the Scriptures? How do we look at those and compare them to the scriptures, especially the New Testament? So here's what I want you to do. In your brain, on your piece of paper, I want you to just take a second and I want you to determine how many ancient copies and fragments would you need to feel better about the scriptures and how far removed from the actual events would they have to be written? That makes sense what I'm saying? How many copies and how long? Okay, you got it? It's not a test. It's just kind of your opinion, right? Everybody's got an opinion, right? Are you guys awake out there? Are we doing all right? Okay, there you go. There they are. All right, so um, uh, what'd you come up with? Did you come up with one copy, 2,000 years removed, and you're fine? If that's the case, then grab a blue Bible. You are good to go, right? Close enough. You're, you know, and, and for some, that's, that's the way it is, and, and that's, that's fine, right? Uh, what about for you, um, how about a 1,000 ancient copies? A 1,000 ancient copies within 500 years. Would that be enough? How about 10,000 ancient copies within 100 years of the original? Would that be enough? I, I don't know what enough is, but, but what would give you more confidence? The reality is this. When it comes to the Bible, We have 24,000 ancient copies and fragments of the New Testament manuscripts dating back to a mere 50 years from the original writing. Uh, You may go, so? Or that you may go, oh, I didn't know that. That that helps, right? Uh, I don't know if you were aware of the fact that the world's leading expert in the field of manuscript verification lived right here in our own backyard. Uh, Bruce Metzger, who passed away in 2007, he served and taught at Princeton Theological Seminary as a biblical scholar, a translator, and a critic. And in his book, he wrote this. He said, based on the evidence available to us, we can be reasonably confident in 99% of the text of the New Testament. Textual scholars argue about the other 1%. You know, we don't have any other ancient document that even comes close to this amount of support or evidence. We just don't. And maybe that's helpful for you. And you're like, yes, or maybe you don't care. Maybe something that would be better for you to help you gain confidence is to look at the evidence from eyewitness accounts. Uh, Consider this. If you wanted to know what happened when George Washington crossed the Delaware River and took his troops and marched down into Trenton, who would you rather uh, get your information from? people who crossed the river with him and then some years later decided to write down an account of what happened or one of these high schoolers over here doing a research project. No offense, right? You do a great job, but you weren't there, right? (laughs) To me, that's an easy choice, 
right? We would choose the eyewitness account. Even if they waited, you know, 30 or so years after the events to write these things down. And when you look at the gospels, what we find is they were written by eyewitness, eyewitness and firsthand accounts. Matthew and John, they were with Jesus. Mark was with Peter and wrote down what he was told, and, and Luke interviewed eyewitnesses for his account. John was the last of the four Gospels, and it was written at approximately 90 AD, approximately 60 years after the crucifixion. And Mark was probably the first Gospel written, and it was written somewhere between 45 and 55 AD. And all the other Gospels that, that people hear about and you know, they talk about, um, they, the people use other Gospels as evidence to say, you know what, the church has ignored all of those, and they're just doing that to, to force their own agenda and ignoring what doesn't suit them. And yet these works, these extra gospels, they, they were not written by eyewitness people. Instead, they were written much later, some 250 to 300 years later. And so it's easy to see why when they were compiling the Bible that, that they only included these four firsthand accounts of the events. But even since there are four, some people see that as a negative thing. And they say, well, if there are four and they're telling the story, then why aren't they identical? Why don't they completely match up? And, and I guess from my perspective, the answer is really simple. Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. And he quoted the Old Testament a lot because he wanted the Jews to understand that Jesus was the one who was promised throughout the Old Testament. That was his audience. Mark was a companion of Peter, and Peter was in Rome, and he was talking about Jesus making the connection for the Romans, and so Mark wrote down what was important there. Luke, in his own words, says in Luke, in Luke chapter 1 that he wanted to write an orderly account so this guy named Theophilus would know that the things he had been taught were true, and John, he wrote more of a spiritual perspective of the events, Four authors writing the same story to different audiences, each with a different perspective, each with a different purpose, but the story and the message and the meaning is the same. It's still telling us about Jesus. And I could extrapolate on these three areas, and there's many other areas that we could dive into and that we could hopefully help build your confidence in the Bible, but, but for many people, these, these types of, of arguments and supporting material, it's fine, but it really doesn't help. And so their question is mainly this. Their question is, why should it matter to me? You can give me all the evidence in the world, but why should this Bible, this book, why does it matter to me? How does some ancient document, even if it is supported by all that evidence and stuff, why, how does it apply to me? How does it impact my life? Why does it matter? And the reality is, it really depends on what you're looking for out of the scriptures. You see, one of the, the main struggles people express when it comes to the, to the scriptures is this. How do we apply our modern framework, I mean, where we live here and today, to the scriptures so that we can help the scriptures make sense? And I want to suggest that maybe a better question is this. How do we allow the scriptures to impact our modern framework to better understand our life? And it's a subtle but important difference. In other words, what I see is often people try to make the Bible into something that maybe it was never really intended to be. And I want to try to explain that for just a minute. And for the next few minutes, uh, as I share, you may think I've lost it and I have no clue what I'm talking about. And that may indeed be true. But I invite you just to lean in and listen and, and to consider what this may mean. Don't just simply dismiss it. Let's talk about this. 
The reason this is important is because there's a growing number of people who I know and love that are asking the basic question just about the Bible and, and about scriptures is, is it true? And the complex answer to that is, well, it depends on what you mean by that. What are you looking for out of the scriptures? There's this often told story about six blind men who encountered an elephant and in an attempt to better understand the elephant, they examined it. The first man found that the animal's trunk felt that and they said, oh, the elephant is shaped like a thick snake. The second man gripped the elephant's ear and said, no, the elephant is like a giant fan. The third man grabbed the elephant's leg and pronounced the first two men wrong. An elephant resembles the trunk of a tree. The fourth blind man placed his hands on the elephant's flank, saying an elephant is like a wall. The fifth man clutched its tail and said they were all wrong. An elephant is like a rope. And the last man found the tusk and declared an elephant is like a spear. And of course, each man was correct, right? Each man was speaking truth. And yet all of them were wrong. And that illustration, I realize, is far from perfect. I looked for a better one, but everyone making this argument used that same illustration, right? Because it does something that helps us understand that when we come to the Bible, when we come to truth, we often do the same thing. We approach it at different points, and we view it from different perspectives. One of the problems that I've discovered with people is we often go to one of two extremes when it comes to the Bible concerning it being true. Some are all in, right? It, every single word, no contradictions, no doubts, no anything, uh, and it, it's just all good. You, you know, if you, if you question anything, then you're wrong and you're just, you know. Other people are just all out, right? Something doesn't add up, they read it, it doesn't make sense, and so they're just like, you know what? It, it doesn't fit my current ideology and I'm out on the whole thing. We go to extremes. And often your reaction to the scripture depends on what you desire for it to do when you go to it. Jared Bias, who's a Christian question asker, I couldn't figure out a better way to say that. He just asked a lot of questions and asked people to think about those questions. He's also a podcaster and a speaker, and he shared some insight on a, on a podcast that he did in a lecture of how we view the Bible as truth. And he suggested three ways we often view it, and so I, I share them with you as well. One way is to see the Bible as a book of facts. If you view the Bible as a book of facts, then you look at it that from the beginning to the end, the purpose of the Bible is to share the facts about the who, what, where, when, why, and how things happened. And while, I've, as I've already shared, there's a lot of evidence to support that the, the scriptures are factually true, what if the Bible was never intended to be read as a fact book? What if that's not the point? What if the view of the Bible is not about facts? What if instead the, the Bible is based on this idea of what does it mean, and it's based on a book of meaning? See, I, I would suggest that the, the scriptures help us make sense of what we experience in life. They take what we desire to have, this relationship with God and this relationship with each other, and it helps us find significance and meaning. We take what something meant in the past, the author's intended meaning, and we view our world today through how that intended meaning impacts us and our world today. We allow our lives to change when we see the meaning and the reasons as to why the scriptures were written. And as we do that, it ultimately leads us to see that the scriptures are a book of wisdom. And in this view, wisdom is using the facts that it does share and the meaning to navigate the world so that we can live a life well lived, a life Jesus refers to as life to the full. 
We see this concept of Bible as truth, as, as a book of wisdom in the scriptures often. And, and what we discover when we really look at it is it's far more nuanced than we might like. It's far more nuanced than I might like. I'll put it that way. For instance, when Jesus said in John chapter 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, what did he mean? I don't have the correct answer, okay? If you're waiting for that, good luck, right? But, but what, what if we argued that by looking at the life of Jesus, that he demonstrated for us how we are to approach the Father, What if we look at the life of Jesus and we see how we are to live our life each and every day and how we draw closer to God and we navigate the world around us? It's why our vision here at PCC is to take the life of Jesus as our pattern for living because through Jesus, we get to the Father. He is the way. He's shown us the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He gives that to us which is why I continue to to use the life of Jesus as revealed through the scriptures as a pattern for which I live my life and as a church and as a body of believers and as, as a community of faith, we are striving to do that as well. And we invite other people to join us in that pursuit and we're not gonna get it perfect and we're not always gonna be correct, but we're pursuing him, taking his life and allowing it to influence our life. You see, I believe that even if you are unsure about the Bible, if you're not sure that the scriptures are true, if you you don't know what to do with them, at the very least, they give us what we need in order to walk in a relationship with God. The very minimum, that's what they offer us. And to the very best, scripture guides us into wisdom and a life well lived, a life that begins now and blends into eternity. But not everyone agrees with that. And you may not agree with that. And, and that's okay, right? Because we don't have to agree on everything. I think we need to talk about Jesus. You see, the, the reality is we live in a culture that seems to be suspicious of answers. Anytime someone gives an answer, they, they view it, they're just suspicious of it. Why? Because answers are rigid. Uh, who are we to say that we know what's right and wrong? How, how do we have it all figured out, Right? Some say answers lead to intolerance, which leads to violence, and we don't need any more violence in this world today, especially religiously induced violence. We just don't. So therefore, out of a, out of a pure heart and in many ways a desire to be loving, some will say there's just no such thing as truth, What is true for you may or may not be true for me. And while the scriptures may be true for you, they don't apply to me. And yet 2 Timothy 3 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, that's where I land. And here's, here's my question and here's my struggle If you don't want to go to the scriptures, that's your prerogative, right? If you don't believe that they are applicable to your life, that's that's your decision. But my question, as lovingly as I can say this, is, is where do you turn for meaning and wisdom and truth in your life then? What what do you use? How do you make those determinations? For some people, they turn to self-help books. The self-help book is, uh, industry is a $9.6 billion a year market. A lot of people go there. They're looking for help, self-help. 
A lot of people go to magazines. The top magazines that are being sold are Oprah's Magazine, Men's and Women's Health, InStyle, Vogue, Cosmo, Maxim, GQ. And if you stop in the checkout line at the grocery store, there's a lot of information and suggestions and opinion and wisdom of some sort in there that you can live your life by if you choose to go there. Or maybe for you, it's blogs and books and podcasts. It's someone else's opinion of what is best because they are the expert. What is it for you? And that's not an indictment. It's a serious question. What is it for you? Because there's nothing wrong or evil or, or bad about any of those things, right? If, if you go to them to read them. But, but here, here's the thing I would challenge you with. When, it, when you go to the Bible, you look that it continues to endure. And time and time again, as people discover and experience the words of it and and the message of Jesus, their lives are changed, not because it's popular and not because it's easy, but because it tells the account of Jesus and his life-changing love. And for many people, and a growing number of people say, you know what, I, I tried reading the Bible, but for one reason or another, they just didn't continue. It just didn't stick. In fact, Barna did a study, and of the of the people surveyed, nearly 78% of the people said that they believe the Bible contains wisdom, meaning, and truth for their life. So 78%, that's pretty solid. And yet of that 78%, only 28% of those say they actually read the Bible. So here's what I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to answer the question of where do you go for meaning and wisdom and truth in your life? And I'm going to encourage you to go to the scriptures. I'm going to encourage you to start reading it. And maybe you've tried and it didn't work. I just want want to challenge you and encourage you to say, try again. And to start small. Don't think you have to read it all this afternoon. You know, daylight savings, you're going to lose an hour, so you're not going to get it done before dark, right? Don't don't think that that's going to happen. I want to encourage you to start small and then let it grow. Start with something small and then let it grow. Last Sunday, uh, my daughter, Carissa, and I, we ran the Marine Corps Marathon in Washington, D.C. And if you remember last Sunday, it was a miserable, rainy, terrible day, right? So imagine being outside running in that. It, it was the, one of the worst running conditions I've ever been in, okay? It was also a wonderful day and experience because I was able to be with my daughter, and, and we were able to do that together. But, but we started the official uh, training, marathon training program back at the end of June, And I've got to tell you, it wasn't an easy program. It wasn't an easy run. We battled through injury. We battled through a lack of motivation. But over time, that two-mile run run turned into four, which turned into eight, which turned into 12, to 16, and then 20. And then finally on race day, the 26.2 miles were done, thankfully, finally. And then we went and ate one of the best burgers we've ever had, right? It It was really good. The point is this, we didn't wake up last Sunday morning and say, hey, I've got a great idea. I think I'll run a marathon today. 26.2 miles seems like a great place to start. No, we started slow and we let it grow. And so if you're unsure about the Bible, we just start small, start somewhere. If you're open to advice, I would encourage you to start in the Gospel of John. Read a verse, read one, stop. Read a section, read a chapter, read part of it each day. Read until something makes you stop and ask a question. Something makes you doubt. Something makes you just go, that that just doesn't sound right. 
And as you read, ask God to reveal himself, to impact your life and to help you grow. And, and don't do it alone. Find someone who's a few steps farther down this road of faith, someone that you trust that you can talk to about it and start small and let it grow. Allow the scriptures to shape and to mold your life. And instead of trying to make the scriptures fit your view, allow the scriptures to shape your view. Allow Jesus and, and the words of scriptures to show you how to love people, how to serve, how to be a part of an imperfect church family how to encourage other people and be encouraged, how to be generous, how to accept, how to forgive, and how to receive forgiveness, how to grow, how to mature, how to do that in your faith and in your relationship with Jesus, which is something that each and every one of us need to do each and every day of our life. Each week, we invite you to enter into a relationship with Jesus. Each week, we invite you to discover and experience his love in your life to surrender to him for the first time. It's a time of response. It's a time to respond to Jesus and invite him into your life to be your Lord and Savior, to experience his grace and mercy and forgiveness. And again, today, we invite you to do that, to surrender to him. Or maybe today you need to recommit your life, to recommit your life to the one who gave you life so that you could have life. Recommit to living each day in his love and sharing his love with others. Or maybe, and I would say probably, I would almost be as bold as to say definitely, <laughs> it's time to grow. It's time for you, for me, for us as individuals and as a community of believers to grow. Because if you are a believer and you are not growing and you are stagnant in your faith, it's time to start maturing to be stretched, to open yourself up to new opportunities, to see what God will do in your life, to make him your focus, and to strive to love God and to love others a little more today than you did yesterday, but not as much as you will tomorrow. What does it look like for you to grow, church? For you to mature? For your faith to become stronger? Maybe for you, it begins today, and it begins right now. And as we do this song of response, as the band comes and we, we sing a song of response, and it's an opportunity for you just to, to do business with God. And maybe part of that business is you want someone to pray with you, to talk to you, to have a discussion, to, to whatever the case may be. We invite you to make your way over to the cross in just a few moments as we...